Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've never heard me speak before, my name is Frankie Mazapika, and the title of the message is 5,000 Too Many. I'm getting this message out of John chapter 6. Jesus was teaching to the multitudes. There was 5,000 men and their families and their children. Uh, There were people everywhere. I mean, think about that. Jesus was preaching to over 5,000 people without a microphone. He could do that because he was the man. When he spoke, people listened. He held their attention with every word that he said. He was God in the flesh. He arrested their attention. But he noticed that they were hungry. And so he turns to one of his disciples, Philip, and he says, how should we feed them? Now, the Bible says that he was testing Philip. See, when you and I are being tested... It is a measure of how much we remember from a previous lesson. And so when we begin to remember what God has done previously, it gives us the faith for what we should expect in the future. Are you with me? Shout yes. Oh, you sound good. Shout yes. And so this is what Jesus was doing with Philip. He was testing him. He wanted to know, do you remember what I've already done? Has your faith gone up since our last lesson, since the last test? See, Jesus is very uh, passionate about remembering what he's already done. If you read in, uh, let me think, uh, uh, Luke chapter 22, he's sitting down with his disciples and he's, he's, he's got bread and he's got wine. And he says, when you eat bread and partake of the wine, we call it communion, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to remember what I've done for you when you have this bread in the wine. I want you to remember Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5. I want you to remember that it's by my wounds, by the wounds that I'm going to receive that you have been forgiven. I want you to remember every single price I've ever paid. I want you to remember And then in a different uh, chapter in Genesis, he says this, it's in chapter 9. He says, I'm going to put a a rainbow in the sky. And when you look at that, I want you to remember what I have promised you and what I have promised the earth, that I would never flood the earth again. He challenges us to hang on, to write down, to make memorials, if you will, or journal, if that vernacular works better for you, to remember what he has done. In Psalm 78, the children of Israel forgot everything that he did. They forgot that he parted the Red Sea. They forgot that water came out of a rock because they were thirsty. God caused water to come out. They forgot it all. We have got 
to remember what he has already done for us. The more we remember, the greater our faith is. See, you and I often forget how strong we are. See, every test we've been through has tempered us. We're stronger at this moment in our life than we have ever been. Uh, Let me see if I can illustrate this with two pieces of glass. If I take this wine glass and drop it, it's going to shatter. It's just, it hasn't been tempered. But if I take this coffee pitcher and drop it, it's not going to shatter. It's been tempered. What do I mean by tempered? They formed it just like they did a wine glass, but then they took it and put it in 600 degrees Celsius. And then after it came out of that tremendous heat, they froze, they put it in this freezing container. And between the heat and the cold, it tempered the glass. Now, this wine glass has been tempered just a little bit. It hasn't been through as much heat. It hasn't been through as cold of temperature as the, pot, the coffee pot. And so it can handle a degree of weight, a degree of pressure, but not like the coffee pot. The coffee pot has been through 600 degrees of hell. It's been to hell and back, and then it's been frozen. When you are going through a season where you back up and you say, Oh my goodness, is this really happening to me? I don't think I can take much more. You are being tempered. You are being tempered. That's a good time to clap. You are being tempered. At this stage of your life, you have been tempered from the test and for the test. See, every test you go through prepares you for the next season. You say, I don't like tests. Trust me, I don't either because a teacher never talks while you're taking a test. It can be very lonely when you're walking through and all of a sudden you can feel the Holy Spirit speak to you and say, remember what he's done for you. Remember what he's done for you. Remember, remember, remember. That's why Psalms chapter one, verses two and three, it says this, those who love the law of the Lord and in the law study day and night are like a tree planted by the rivers of water who leaves will not wither, shall bear fruit in due season and whatever they do, they shall prosper. But go, before we celebrate, let's just go back to the first part of the verse. It says those who meditate on his word, you refuse to forget what he's done. You refuse You're saying it over and over and over and over. You're reminding yourself about what he's done in your life. You're reminding yourself about what he did in David's life, in Moses' life. You're reminding yourself. And it builds your faith. And faith is the substance for miracles. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says that faith is being sure of what you're hoping for. 
and certain of what you can't see. And so the more you go back and think about what he did, the stronger your faith gets for what he's going to do. Do you believe that? Put your hands together. Come on. So then he, he backs up and he says, what are we going to do, Philip? And Philip says something very interesting. If I would have known Philip, he and I would have been friends because we think the same way. He says this, he goes, what are we supposed to do? He goes, if we work for a year, we still wouldn't have enough money to buy these people lunch. What are we supposed to do? And I, I look at the word we, it only has two letters, but it's such a big word. Because he's putting the pressure on himself. He's putting the pressure on the 11 disciples. He's saying, what are we supposed to do? See, there are times when God puts us in position to where we have to decide who are we depending on. Because everything depends on who we are depending on. And so he backs up and he says, I, I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know where to go. I, I don't understand what to do. And so he backs up and he says, all right, you're fired. You're fired. Give me, give me the fish. Give me the loaves. And so he takes it and, and he takes the two fish. He takes the five loaves and he starts to thank God. Now, what is he thanking God for? He hasn't done anything yet. What is he thanking him for? And so I got to thinking about that. And I remembered in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. It tells us what he was thanking him for. Because Philippians 4 6 says this. It says do not worry about anything. Pray about everything. And thank him for everything he has done. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying he's got the problem in his hands. But where his mind is, is what he has already done. He's not staring at the problem. He's looking back at his testimony. And so he's saying, thank you, Father. Thank you for all the things you've ever done. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for that. And thank you for that. And thank you for that. I'm sure Philip was standing there like, bro. You got a problem in your hands. Anyone can see the problem. But it takes someone with some fortitude to back up and see what God is going to do because you're remembering what he's already done. Are you with me? Come on. Anybody can see a problem. Anybody can see a problem. You can be four years old and see the problem. I tell you, hanging out with people that point out problems bores me. It bores me. I want to get around people that speak about a vision, talk about where we're going. Anybody can talk about what's not going well. Somebody spend some time with God and come out of the closet and say, I think I know where we're going. I think I know where we're going. 
I've looked in the history books. I've studied what God has done in situations before. And I have a feeling we got good things coming around the corner. That's the kind of people I love to hang out with. It. My son is 13. I got a daughter who's six. Another daughter who's 16. All three of them can identify the problem. It's easy. It's easy. It takes some fortitude. You know, um, um, I, I have to admit, I've been speaking since I was 19 years old, so it's been over 20 years, but I still get so nervous when I speak. Sometimes uh, I get so nervous that I can't sleep the night before. And my wife is always saying to me, Frankie, you've been doing this for so long. Why are you getting so nervous? It's so, I don't know why. I don't know why. But it's interesting. By the time I get to my seat at church, the minute I walk down the aisle and I get to my seat, I can, I, my heart knows that the presence of God is here. And all of a sudden, all the nervousness goes away. And now I'm just having fun. I'm like, you know, I am a friend of God. I mean, I'm singing with the worship team. I'm having fun. I don't want the worship to stop. I'm looking at the, the worship director going, keep going, keep going, keep going. I'm just having fun. And a couple of weeks ago, I came down to the front row and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. Not out loud, just right down in here. He spoke to me and said, I'll always be right here waiting for you. I'll always be right here waiting for you. See, when you feel stress, when, when Philip was saying, what are we supposed to do? What are we? So when you feel stress, you and I, when we feel stress, we are imagining a scenario in the future that we are going to be in, but we're not sure if God is going to be there. I just want to tell you, when you get there, he will be there waiting for you. He's always been there waiting for you. He will be there waiting for you. When the 31st of the month is coming up, he will be there waiting for you. Don't worry when it's the 11th, the 31st is coming. He will be there waiting for you. When the meeting is coming up, just tell yourself, when I get to that room, he'll be there waiting for me. Everybody say, he'll be there waiting for me. Come on. You guys sound good. How much espresso did you drink this morning? And so he, he looks at Philip and he says, all right, um, give me the bread. Uh, give me the fish. And, and he starts thanking God. He starts praising God. Now, why is praising so critical when you've got a problem on your hands? Why is that so critical? When you praise, you begin to get a God perspective. You're telling him how awesome he is. I love you. I thank you. I praise you. I love you. I thank you. I praise you. And when you begin to praise him, you begin to see things from his perspective. It's very interesting. When our praises fade, our anxieties rise. If you ever find yourself in a, in a season where you're stressed out, notice how much you're praising. Because the more stressed you are, 
it's likely you haven't been praising him that much. But the more you're praising him, the less stressed out you are. But here's the challenge. It's easy to praise him when things are going good. It's incredibly hard to praise him when things are going bad. It is so hard. And why is it so hard? Because the trouble is so big before you. The problem in your hands is so huge. Sure, yes. But there is a demonic force in the supernatural that's fighting against you. Ephesians 6.12 says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We are wrestling against spirits, evil spirits in an unseen world, evil authorities in an unseen world. These spirits are coming up against you and that's why we don't want to praise him when we are in the middle of a battle because it is a battle. They're battling us to keep us from praising him. But the moment we do, everything begins to shift. In Psalms, absolutely, put your hands together. In Psalms 56, 9, it says, every time you call for help, the tide of the battle changes. Do all the problems go away? No, but peace sets in. Why is that? Let me see if I can illustrate it uh, with a visual. Um, my, my wife, all of a sudden, uh, a couple months ago, decided that she wanted to get into chickens. I'm a city slicker raised by two New Yorkers. And so when she says I'm bringing chickens home, I'm like, well, I guess I got to go then. Uh, there's not room on, uh, at our house for six chickens and me. So anyway, I lost that battle. So in the back of our backyard, there's a chicken coop with six chickens. And somehow or another, it became my job. It became my job to, to put the chickens in the chicken coop. It's not always my job, but somehow or another, I got in the rotation. It's your turn. It's your turn. So what's interesting is we put the chickens in the chicken coop at night. Now, we also have two dogs. You're ahead of me. <laughs> and the dogs, um, how do I say this? It's their yard. It's, it's their grass. They were there before the chickens were there. And so when they're walking around the, the grass in the middle of the day, they, have the, they leave these surprises all over the grass. And so when you're walking in the middle of the night, you need a flashlight to make sure that you don't step in these surprises that they've laid in the grass. Are you with me? Say yes. Now, as you're walking and you've got the flashlight, the, the surprises, the, they don't vanish. They don't just disappear just because I got a flashlight. But I do know where they are. So now I can navigate around them. The situation hasn't changed. The problem hasn't changed. I just know how to navigate 
Are you with me? Say yes. See, some of you are already ahead of me. When you worship and you praise God and you worship God, it doesn't always change everything immediately. But what you can do is you can navigate your season. You know when to keep your mouth shut. You know when to open your mouth. You know when to do something and when not to do something. When to be passive and when to be aggressive. You know when and you have a peace about you. Why? Because all the problems went away? No. You are getting an aerial view every morning before you leave the house. Ephesians 6, 18 says, pray in the spirit at all times. You are trying to stay in that aerial view throughout the day. So when other people are reacting to the problem, you are responding to the problem. It's a big difference between reacting and responding. Reacting is like, they go crazy. But responding is, it's going to be okay. I don't have the answer, but it's going to be okay. Are you with me? Say yes. That's why when you're in worship at church, you're worshiping, there's something about worship where you just have this sense that everything's going to be okay. Now you have an advantage when you're in the sanctuary worshiping because in Psalms 26 verse 8 it says I love his sanctuary because it's where his glorious presence dwells you have an advantage in the sanctuary but what's beautiful is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 it says that the Holy Spirit resides inside of you so you're able to be the sanctuary after you leave the sanctuary doesn't that sound good come on put your hands together for that All right, so everybody has eaten all the fish they can eat. Everybody has had all the bread they can have. And they back up and they say, this man is the man we've been praying for. This man is the person that the prophets have spoke about. We are going to make him our king today. And so they go up to him to force him to be the king. Now, anyone else would have been, I've been waiting for this except for Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it says that he made himself of no reputation. He didn't try to get anyone to follow him and chant his name. It was not his goal to be the king on this earth at that time. He had a bigger purpose in mind. And so what he did is he slipped away. If you read the New Living Translation, it says that he slipped away to be alone by himself and prayed. Oh my goodness. Where did all that power that he had come from? Where did all the power that those disciples had come from? What was the secret? The secret to power is praying in secret. The Bible says in Matthew chapter, oh shoot, I forgot the name, Uh, I forgot, but let me just quote the scripture to you. Those of you who pray, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in secret. For your father who sees everything 
will reward you. When you get alone in secret and you begin to put your mind's attention and your heart's affection on him in your private world, you will see him begin to affect your public world. If you can imagine that your private world, your private space, when nobody's looking is a glass, you're you're like a container and you fill it in your private time. But then when you leave, it overflows out in your public world, in your, in your public life. I, I remember um, uh, Lisa Osteen, is, uh, Pastor Joel Osteen's sister, uh, she was preparing to preach a message one time, and this was back when uh, their daddy was still alive. And uh, he walked in and saw his daughter preparing a message, and he smiled at her and he said, Lisa, why are you working so hard. And she said, Daddy, I'm not like you. I I haven't memorized the whole Bible. Uh, I I need to study. And he looked at her and he said something I'll never forget. He said, Honey, just preach out of the overflow. He had been watching his daughter for so many years. Get alone with the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Study the scriptures when she didn't need them. And when you study the scriptures when you don't need them, they will be there when you do need them. He said, baby, just get out there and preach out of the overflow. He'll be there when you get there. Do you receive that today? Come on, put your hands together. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I love you guys so much. I really do. And um, 2020 for all of us has been one of those years that had we known that it was going to be like this, we probably wouldn't have celebrated with as much energy And December the 31st, 2019. Uh, we would have been like, all right, here we go. All right, here we go. We can do this. Uh, I don't think we would have had as many balloons and confetti. Um, we, we didn't see this coming. Um, but let me just tell you that the principles that we study in the scriptures that took place over 2,000 years ago, when they were penned and they were put in the Bible, it was with 2020 in mind. In John chapter 21, verse 25 It's the last verse in the book of John. And John said this, And Jesus did many more things than these. If we would have written them all down, the whole earth could not contain the books that would have been written. So if he did many more things than these, but only a certain number of miracles took place and are in the scriptures. And there's, a certain, there's only a certain number of teachings in the Bible that were chosen to be recorded. They were recorded because those scriptures applied to your life in particular. The other ones were not quite as important. And they didn't apply specifically to you. These scriptures were strategically arranged. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Are not all scripture inspired by God and useful for doctrine, reproach, correction, and instruction in righteousness? 
all scripture from cover to cover. So it was strategically arranged for you and I to use these scriptures and stories and parables to navigate. Are you with me? God would not, Jesus would not have paid such an expensive price on the cross for people to be healed for a short amount of time. The price was too big. That price paid for the healings from that moment forward with no end mark. The same blood that flowed from the cross on that day still flows today. It would have been too big of a price if the blood had an expiration date on it. Too big of a price. If we can call on him for salvation with confidence because of what he did on the cross, we should call with just as much confidence for what he did for our bodies for healing. Are you with me? Why don't everyone here stand your feet for me, please? Tracy, why don't you come on up here? Uh, God did something really special in Tracy's life, and I want to share it with you. For those of you that are new to celebration, we go for healing at the conclusion of every service, and then we share testimonies of people who have been healed. And you say, well, why do you share testimonies every single Sunday? Why don't you just preach and then go for healing? Testimonies are critical. Revelations chapter 19, verse 10, it says, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the prophecy. Everybody say prophecy. One, two, three. Real loud. One, two, three. The prophecy of what's to come. And so when you hear what God has done, it's actually telling you what he wants to do again. Are you with me? All right. Go ahead, Tracy. Share your story. It's so beautiful. The first week of June of this year, I ended up in the hospital with two kidney stones. And while I was there, the doctors discovered that I was also extremely anemic. And if you don't know what that means, it just means that your red blood cells that carry oxygen to your body was really, really low. Um, A healthy pregnant woman um, has levels of between 12 and 16, and mine were down at a 6. And so over the course of time I got out of the hospital, I ended up not having to get a blood transfusion. But my levels rose after about a month to a 9.7. And my midwives at that point told me that I needed to have a solid 10 to give birth safely at the birthing center that I'm planning by 37 weeks, which is this week, actually. And so I was really close. I was a 9.7. And so I figured, okay, I'll get my iron levels up, which is usually what it takes uh, to, to raise your hemoglobin. And so for the next two and a half months, I was religiously taking like seven to ten different things a day to try to get those levels up. And I didn't think to ask for prayer at the time. I was so close to that ten number, I figured I would be fine. And uh, after those two and a half months, they drew my blood and found out that I was only a 9.8 after all of that work. And so they referred me to a blood specialist and because they said, you're going to need an iron infusion to get you over that 10 number uh, so you can be safe. 
And I really didn't want to go to the iron specialist or the blood specialist. Um, I was hoping that the Lord would just have healed me. And so I ended up doing what I should have done in the first place. And I came and received prayer. And um, that week, I went to the blood specialist. And um, he, they, they had told me they were basically going to do the iron infusion. And then when I got there, they changed their minds and said, let's just draw your, your blood again and see what the numbers are. And so the Lord did what, in like a week's time or in a moment, what I had tried to do almost my entire pregnancy. And when I got those results back, um, they should be coming up. I was at a 10.7. So great. So great. So great. You know, I've said this before. Not everyone we pray for gets healed the first time we pray for them. But every Sunday, people get healed. What's the takeaway on that? You have to be praying for so many things that you're always getting a breakthrough somewhere. Are you with me? You're always getting a breakthrough. And then in the areas that you don't get a breakthrough... You just say to yourself, when somebody gets healed, it's because of God. And when they don't get healed, I'm just going to leave it with God. Because he has dates on the calendar. And that person's date might be tomorrow. So we'll pray again tomorrow. I don't know what needs you have. I don't know what concerns you have, what you're worried about. I do know that if you have a healthy body, you, like me, may not as appreciate it as much as we probably should. Because those of you who are having a challenge physically, it's always on your mind. And I want you to know that today, I'm expecting God to heal you. 100%, I'm expecting him to heal you. I'd like our prayer partners to come down, if they would, all the prayer partners in the room. There you go, bridge this gap. Last Friday, um, I went to go speak, uh, 48 hours ago, I went to go speak at a church in Alabama and um, they wanted healing and miracles to take place. And so I said, absolutely. I've seen God do it so many times. But here's the deal. If you, if you want a lot to happen, let me bring a team. More can happen with a team than, than with, if I just come by myself. So I brought 23 prayer partners. And so many people were getting healed and they were praying for so many people. They couldn't see me because I was behind them like I am now. I went and sat down on the stage. <laughs> I was like, this team does not need me. And people are just getting healed left and right. I'm saying that to say, whatever you believe, or whatever you're hoping for, 
I want you to come out of your seat as quickly as you can and take the hand of a prayer partner and let them pray for you. But keep this in mind. The greatest need in this room is not a physical need. It has everything to do with the state of your heart. And I want you to ask yourself, if your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure you know where you'd spend eternity? Because if you don't, you must, you must fix that. And all you have to do is whisper to the Lord, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And I would lead you in that prayer, but I'd like to entice you to come down here and pray with a prayer partner. Because wherever two or three agree on one thing, God is standing right there in the middle. So why don't you come out of your seat and take the hand of a prayer partner and let them pray with you. There's no official dismissal. You can leave whenever you get ready, but I'd love to encourage you. Why don't you just worship with us for about 60 seconds and then you can dismiss yourself. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. May his face be turned towards you and bring you peace. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.